0: The relationships we have now are from 10 years of using the local businesses, using local cafes and gyms, and we've got genuine friendships now, yeah. and that's where we're seeing the fruit the most. We, we still do the social action because it's required. Mm. We still do the evangelism because it's required, but where I think we have most ground broken is through our genuine love that we have for our neighbours.
1: Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. Uh, My name's Phil Topham, Executive Director of the FIEC, and I'm delighted uh, today to be joined by Ian Williamson. Ian, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hi, brother, how are you doing? I'm very well. Now, you've just stepped down quite recently from being pastor at New Life Church Middlesbrough, and just tell us what ministry you're you're now involved in. Yeah, in January, we set up a new ministry
0: called Medhurst Ministries, uh, which aims to train support and fund council estate ministry and ministry to deprived areas Uh, so i stepped up to uh, work for them Uh, i'm executive director
1: there's a lot of that about isn't there yeah
0: i don't know what that means basically (laughs) i I do everything that needs doing
1: yeah that's basically what i think yeah good
0: Yeah, it's not as impressive as it sounds.
1: (laughs) Well, what we're going to do, we're going to have a a bonus podcast specifically about Medhurst so we can let people know how Medhurst can help with this kind of ministry. But what I want to do in this podcast is talk a bit about what we might call, and it's a crass way of putting it, council estate ministry, ministry into some of the toughest communities in Britain, what that ministry looks like, how churches can be actively thinking about working in those communities, praying for work in those communities and all that goes with that. So I'd really like to to get into that with you, Ian, if if I can, on, on this podcast. And just for folk listening, if at any point I start doing a Northeast accent, I'm not taking the mickey out of Ian. I was born in Sunderland and sometimes uh, I, I sneak back into it. So if I'm doing any of the the really, at uh, any point in this podcast, please don't take that personally, brother. Okay. That's my- No problem. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> well, first of all, so you see, you, you're a pastor at New Life Church for many years in Middlesbrough. Tell us a bit about Middlesbrough. What's that like as a, as a place?
0: Yeah, it's a funny place. It's a... It's a place of... Uh, Strong community, uh, a place that is ranked as the most deprived in the country. Uh, All the negative statistics from child poverty to knife crime uh, to unemployment and drug and alcohol abuse, uh, Middlesbrough has the highest concentration per person in the country of all Mm -hmm. these negative. uh, Yeah, so statistically things aren't good uh but it's it's a it's a town that's run down but surrounded by a beautiful countryside and uh full of wonderful people who uh, are very loyal mm. uh, are very caring have a wonderful dark sense of humor and uh, are very open to the gospel so yeah it's a a double edged sword there's not many churches in middlesbrough mm. which means there's like ripe right pickings for gospel mm-hmm. outreach so uh, not many people have heard the gospel we had some Americans over speaking with some of the locals and they were shocked at just how far from uh, Christianity we are. They've heard of being a post-Christian nation, but they didn't realise how post we were. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad that this town that is suffering spiritually, uh, economically, is also suffering far
1: worse spiritually. Mm. So people are a lot further back than perhaps ever they, they, they were. Is that, is that the kind of feedback that the guys picked up?
0: Yeah, well, for example, I was a chaplain of a local college, and when I met the the students, uh, I explained who I was. I said I was a chaplain. I asked, does anybody know what a chaplain is? Mm. They said no. I said, do you know what a pastor or a minister is? They said no. I said, what about a vicar? They said no. And one person said, oh, are you one of those fellows that
1: bury people when they die? Yeah, okay, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that was, where people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and tell us about where the church is. At New Life is based, so we were there um, for, for for a, a weekender with Medhurst. We'll talk about that uh, perhaps in another episode. But but the church itself is in the middle of a of a local authority estate. That's right, isn't it? And and I guess that's one of multiple similar estates in Middlesbrough.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd say the area that we are in, there's about forty thousand people living on nine different council estates, which are all joined together, which are almost identical. Uh, the difference being with the estate that we're on is we are probably one of the only churches, Mm. uh, one of the estates with a a church on. Uh, Most of the churches have been sold and have been turned into booze shops or betting shops or knocked down and had social housing built upon it. Uh, Yeah, so it's fast. It's fast. So we're in East Middlesbrough and then part of East Middlesbrough is also in the and Cleveland Council Borough, which then has probably another 60,000 people. And then on the other side of West Middlesbrough, there's large council estates as well. So mm. uh, we're just focused in East Middlesbrough, but Middlesbrough as a whole has uh, yeah, some of, some of the most deprived communities
1: in the country. You've got a great opportunity though there. You've got a lot of land so you can, you know, people know the church is there, I guess, uh, and they can engage with you on those terms. You're, you're part of the estate, which is a yeah. real bonus for you, I guess. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. I think
0: learning the thing outside the box as well. We had a problem with vandals. Uh, young people uh, coming and smashing the roof up and things like that, causing havoc, setting fires. So we had the idea of rather than phoning the police and keeping them off the land, thought, since they're there, how can we engage them whilst they're smashing (laughs) 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 What can we do? So we we started doing football groups and again, Mm. inviting them in. Once the kids have had a look around and realised that we're not going to chase them,
1: Mm.
0: like, oh, these people are all right, so they have a little bit of respect and have Mm. a bit of ownership. Uh, People who join our church... Uh, are amazed at how many people would say uh, that New Life Church is their church, even though they've never actually been to a Sunday mm. service. Mm. So the fact that they engage with us midweek gives them a sense of ownership on on, on the activities that we do. And, uh, yeah, it's been slow. We've been there. I've lived on that estate since, I think, 1981. I've been in and around that estate. I've moved off it and moved back several times, but... I've, I've lived there the majority of my life. The church has been there for 10 years, and yet now we're just starting to see fruit. So wow. it's been a, a, a long slog, but through perseverance and through the grace of God, we're seeing uh, Yeah, people want to come along to the activities we're doing. And off the back of that scene, some people come to faith and come along Travel Sunday services as well.
1: Praise God. So, so that sounds like it can't be a quick fix investment going into kind of – Council of State Ministry. So you said 10 years there yeah. to begin to see fruit. And um, what what's important for guys thinking about this kind of work to think about when you talk about the long-termism of it?
0: Yeah, I think what guys want to ask themselves, anyone who's thinking of gospel ministry in deprived places, are you willing to invest your life for 10, 15, 20 years and at the end of it know that the only fruit you've had is People have heard the gospel and they've rejected it because you mm. might be there for a long time and see no visible fruit. Are you happy to take on a church of 10 people and pastor a church of eight when you retire? Yeah. Because the, the likelihood is that church attendances are dropping, in particularly on areas of deprivation like ours. And I think if you were content with pastoring a church of eight or 10 people uh, for the rest of your your, your life as a pastor – then anything else is a bonus, isn't it? Mm, So I think that was my problem. I knew it was going to be hard. I was under no illusions it was hard, but I didn't realise how hard it would be. Uh, I was looking for validation in my ministry. Mm. Uh, I I was looking for uh, growth. Obviously, I wanted to see people saved, but there was also a a big ego Mm. uh, attached to that as well, thinking, well, if I get 30 people join mm. the church, then funders will be more attracted yeah, to what yeah. I'm doing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? There's, yeah, there's lot, lots yeah. of outside yeah. mm. influences which pull with your heart. There's envy, there's pride, there's uh, looking for contentment and validation in what people think rather and what you, what you think yourself yeah. rather than what the Lord thinks. And, uh, when he calls you a good and faithful servant, it's because you've loved him mm. and been obedient to him, mm. not because you've achieved anything, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Any achievement is all his anyway. Yeah, yeah. But that is our pride, isn't it? That, that gets in the way for us, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Ian, let me ask you about some of the unique challenges that exist in council estates that perhaps if pastors are listening to this for more middle-class communities, they, they might not even have thought of. I think everyone can relate to people being further back than they were that we've touched on. What are some of the unique challenges uh, on council estates that, that it's helpful to think about in terms of the ministry of the gospel in those communities?
0: Yeah, I think it's just so erratic that, that one day isn't the same as the next. Each Sunday is never the same. I think we have similar problems to every other church in every other context, uh, but the problems we have are magnified. Uh, Every church will deal with mental health problems, but not every church will have the majority of members suffering Mm. from mental health. Uh, And in my case, the pastor struggling with mental health (laughs) himself. (laughs) So again, I I came from an addictive background. Uh, I had lots of issues myself as a pastor that God has been working through while I've been in ministry. Mm. Uh, And again, if we're looking to raise up godly leaders and and elders and, and female gospel workers, a lot of the people that have come into faith that were working with similar struggles that I had. Yep. Uh, so just having, like we, we employed Nathan, It was a breath of fresh air, uh, when when we interviewed him, somebody said, he's not a fire starter, but he's a safe pair of hands. I said, brilliant. So there's enough people who can start <laughs> fires. We want somebody, but we've got no one who's got a safe pair of hands. Some of them are in the church hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, we we struggled to have the people on the ground are generally uh, working through a lot of things. The people we're reaching are struggling from all kinds of issues, from uh, mental health issues, from addictions, aggression, violence. Past criminal records—that's uh, not everyone in a council estate lives like that. Mm. There's loads of people who are functional, who have good jobs, who—but yeah. they tend not to get involved with us because they don't feel the need. God,
1: mm. the,
0: where life is sorted, so the people who were functioning on the council estate, who were living good, uh, good working lives, who who were who were who were stable, tend to see us as a place only for the broken. Mm-hmm. like the practically broken, those with addiction. So lots of people we know will say, can you help my friend or can you help my relative? Because yes. they see us as a social service rather yeah, than yeah. a spiritual service. So again, it's hard because we've got a lot of people who use us because they want practical help and a lot of people who avoid us because they think they don't need us because practically they're sorted out. So again, trying to show people that everyone's broken, whether you're the addicts sat outside the, the local news agent begging or whether you're the guy with a BMW in the scaffolding company who's, mm. who's earning far more than most people <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, in suburbia, yeah, yeah. Mm. that 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 you need Jesus because you're separated from a holy God who will judge all those who reject Him. That that spiritual message is lost because I think a lot of churches, when they've tried to help council estates, uh, through various reasons, have forgotten that the spiritual need is far greater than the practical need. Mm. They've came in with food banks. These things are brilliant. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with food banks or CAP or anything like that. These social justice works are valid, but only helpful if the gospel is being preached alongside Mm. them. One can't go without the other. God's people need to be seen loving and caring and and, and kind and merciful, but they also need to be telling people why they are, and that's because Mm. of the loving kindness and mercy that God has shown them. And unless we're preaching that life-saving gospel, then these council estates are just going to see us as an extension of social services. And have
1: we got that wrong as churches? Have we, have we gone in with a kind of more of a social agenda than a gospel agenda? We've not kept those things hand in hand. Is that, is that a mistake that we've made?
0: Yeah, I think it is. I think uh, we, we we go top heavy on either Avenue. It's very hard to stay Mm. center on any subject because our heartstrings tend to guide us. And if, 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 if you value God's word, which is a good thing to do, and you're afraid of being seen as a social justice warrior or walk, you will avoid anything that might give you mm-hmm. that label and just focus on preaching and evangelism. And But that gives a just a, a one-sided view of our faith, doesn't it? And then again, for those who have been hurt by the churches that have neglected their social responsibility, they will focus more heavily on, on the, the social work that mm-hmm. we should be displaying as... Uh, Christians being like the, the the good Samaritan and caring and, and showing that love, and I think that's why we need to uh, not look at the statistics of an area when you're trying to reach them I, I was given some training before, and I just showed the problem of looking at statistics and practical need uh, for, for churches is a lot I said what activities? could you do to reach this community based on these statistics? And because unemployment was high, everybody wanted to do a job club mm. or uh, single parents uh, was high. So they wanted to do stuff to help single mums. And I was like, what, like 70% of the community yeah. are working and living as couples mm. rather than as single parents. So we're, we, we focus on a practical need often, or we'll, we'll, we'll just focus on the Bible, uh, preaching the Bible to, to an empty church. It's yeah. how can we attract people? And I think the biggest thing is we've got to stop looking at we're going into this community to preach, and we're going into this community to serve a need. We need to think we're going to go into this community and live here. Yeah. And embrace a community, build friends, build relationships, use the local hairdressers, uh, use the local butchers. The relationships we have now are from 10 years of using the local businesses, using local cafes and gyms and we've got genuine friendships now yeah. and that's where we're seeing the fruit the most we we still do the social action because it's required mm-hmm. we still do the evangelism because it's required but where I think we have most ground broken is through our genuine love that we have for our neighbours
1: that's one Peter stuff isn't it making mm. you're know, living such good lives amongst the pagans yeah. and actually that does take all that time that you were talking about earlier that 10 years plus yeah. that you can't just form those relationships overnight people I guess would be suspicious of you would be if yeah. you tried to do that <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: suspicious, but also they see your warts and all, don't they? Mm. So they hear you shouting at your kids over the barbecue <laughs> on a yeah. day, or, or, <laughs> or arguing with your, your wife because you've lost the car keys on the front of the house or whatever you do, you, you're seeing warts and all. Uh, I come from that community, so people knew me from my mm. past. Which Was that an advantage? I think it was harder for me personally because I wasn't loved by everyone in my community. Uh, I'd upset a lot of people. So there was fear and paranoia from my point of view. Uh, I, I'd relied on my strength and my friends and uh, f- for protection and to then rely on God and think, you know what? I might get punched in the face here. How should I respond <laughs> yeah. oh, in love? I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But then it also gave me openings to people who after 10 years, when they see that this transformation is real, that mm the first couple of years I made a lot of mistakes so I I kept thinking oh I've blew it no one ever will take me serious as a Christian but after 10, 15, 20 years people can see the fruit that God has been working in my life Uh, the neighbours see us that were were still there so I think the biggest thing that encouraged my wife was after six years of living on the street uh, we were invited for a meal for somebody that she'd only ever spoken to over the fence so fantastic yeah uh, so it's small things but end up becoming the big things. The, the last person who was saved was saved through uh, one of our neighbours who lived on the street because uh, she contacted us when, when her sister-in-law was struggling. We met with her, shared the gospel with her, and mm. she got saved. Unfortunately, she died before we were able to baptise her, but praise the Lord that uh, because of that link mm. with our neighbor, this woman is now in glory. Amazing. So she, yeah. she's loving life with
1: Jesus. Praise God yeah, for that. Yeah. And that's what it's about, isn't it? You, 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 you've got to look to those great kind of positives, which help you as you, as you serve him in, the, in, the, in your community that you're in. Mm. And Ian, when you preached at the Medhurst Weekender um, a couple of months ago, um, I was really struck by something you said uh, about how when you were first saved, mm. you mm. wanted to go back to your estate and reach the estate for Jesus. But actually that was really unwise. I think if you're a middle-class pastor or leader listening to this, you're thinking, well, hang on, how can, how can that be unwise? Surely I want to reach my, my friends, my peers, those who I know. Just give us a bit of an insight into why that doesn't always work in a kind of council estate setting. I'll give
0: you one example was I went to serve on a teen challenge bus in the center of town, the town where I used to work as a nightclub bouncer. I was an addict and a heavy drinker and uh, I did a lot of my drinking and taking drugs as a, as a bouncer while I was working. And this night I'd been safe for a few months and, uh, I was sharing with all these addicts on the bus and it was great. I was with other Christians and then I, I was sharing the gospel with these other people, uh, forgetting that the devil is real and mm. looking to, to, to take you out. He doesn't want to see anyone thrive as a Christian, uh, forgetting that I was naive and that, maybe's. Uh, maybe he's, uh, witnessing about Jesus in the town where to drug addicts talking about drugs in a place where I used to take drugs wasn't the wisest thing because on the way home, I passed past the nightclub that I used to work at, went to chat to some of the lads initially about Jesus, went in and had a pint. And the next thing I'm partying for two days, mm. taking drugs and living the life that I thought I'd left behind. And for me, every friend I had outside of the church took drugs, uh, Lived a hedonistic lifestyle, basically lived the life that I would turned my back on. So, just meeting with them for a pint or even for a cup of tea often led to me backsliding and and uh, I'd like to say falling back into sin, but I used to dive head first, and that's <laughs> the reality of it. But I mean, I still enjoyed it. I wasn't doing it because I knew it was sinful, but I was still enjoying it. Mm. And I had to move out of town and fall more in love with Jesus. And it took me three years before I loved Jesus more than drugs. Mm. I, I stopped taking drugs because it was wrong. Yeah. But I still loved them. and It was like having an affair with Jesus. You know, it was that conflict between love for Jesus and love for sin. And it, and it took a long time to deal with that. And if I'd have been there coming from a different background where my sin was say, pornography or being a workaholic or something, uh, that sin would have A been hidden yeah. or B been acceptable. Mm. And I could have got away with it and it wasn't going to wreck my life. Uh, I wasn't going to end up dead or in jail. And the problem for me was every time I backslid, I risked either dying or or, or going to prison. And so the consequences for my
1: backslide was far greater than mm. most people whose sins were, weren't illegal. So would you recommend to guys doing this kind of ministry that if someone from the community or the council estate is saved, that they should consider being away from that for a while rather than staying in it? Because I think that's quite a... It's quite countercultural for a lot of Christians to hear. Do do, do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know how you'd respond to that, but I I just wonder from what you said.
0: Yeah, I think the problem is with pastors because we're working in a a mission field where fruit is few and far between. (laughs) When somebody gets saved, you want to hold on to them. And I think for me, that validation of "oh, this work was worth it," you want to these trophies of grace soon become trophies of your ministry, and you want to show them off and. I remember going to a church and uh, I was introduced to uh, a new convert and they said, this is our, and said the name of a well-known evangelist who'd come from a similar background. I won't say his name, mm-hmm. but he was, well, he was well known for coming from quite a chaotic background. And they were calling, put, put this guy under a lot of pressure by putting him in the, the presenting him as the future saviour for the lost and uh, that guy fell away and ended mm. up falling away. So I think what we need to do is we need to, first of all, check our own hearts is why do we want to keep people around in the church? What are our motivations? Is it because he's a trophy of our work and uh, what's best for that person? And for me, the best thing for me was to move out of the town I was living, to move into a different town, to be part of a church. I had plenty of people to look after me, to love me, mm. to... Uh, give me opportunities to serve, but also be far away enough from temptation that when I was tempted, I had enough time to like back out or do mm-hmm. you know before mm-hmm. I fell into sin? And then I, I was away from my community for six years
1: before I went back and I, I was a lot stronger for it. Mm. In You talked about um, some of the issues facing folk in the community that you serve in. Would it be fair to say those things are just more visible than perhaps middle-class sin. Uh, and therefore, how do you engage with that as a church and as a church leader? As you mentioned, you know, pornography and being a workaholic, one being hidden, the other perhaps being acceptable, but then they're no less sins, are they? So how do you, how do you engage with that as a church? And what advice could you give for people engaging with that, doing this kind of work? Yeah,
0: challenge, challenge sin when you see it yet also empathize with it and think. So a great one is I, I used to smoke when I, I, I was first saved and I smoked for a lot of years and people would talk and tell me that I should pack in smoking as a Christian, that, that it was sinful. Yeah. How many Christians walk into church with a Costa coffee mug mm. and, you can't speak to them till I've had like two doses of caffeine before the like the nice, but thats but everyone laughs at oh yeah, I need to have three cups of coffee before I can speak on the morning because I'm really grumpy well that's not nothing yeah. to be proud of is it mm. it's still an addiction, and uh, so again understand that do you know what Coffee's not going to stop you get the heaven mm. have' nicotine. Mm. It'll well, get you there quicker. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a wisdom issue as much as a, yeah, as, as yeah. a sin issue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I packed in smoking because I wanted to live a longer life with my children, mm-hmm. not because I felt it was the greatest thing on my list. How I spoke to my wife was was the biggest one. How I was a selfish pig was probably bigger. So often we'll focus on the visible sins rather than the heart issues. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when you when you get someone saved, I think. The stuff that's going to kill you and get you sent to prison, yeah, let's work on them. But do you know what? I think some of the biggest issues, as I found out for myself personally, is uh, the heart issues. Why are we doing these things? Why are we reacting this ways? And the reason is, all we need to be taught is, are we loving God and others above ourselves? And then I think the rest comes...
1: Falls into place. Falls
0: into place, yeah. yeah. So I think rather than focusing on a specific thing, we need to focus on preaching the gospel, applying that well to people's lives, uh, understanding that... We're all addicts, and we're all addicted to sin. It's just some sins are more attractive to others than than they are to us. So yeah, it's 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 just dealing with that sin issue, uh, discipleship, loving one another, leading by example, and and trusting that the Holy Spirit
1: will convict. Mm. One of the things that really struck me about coming to the Medhurst weekend, uh, Ian, was the amount of church plants that from day one need paid workers to do the ministry because you're unlikely to have folk within the church who would be able to step up to do some of that ministry. So I was chatting to one fella who had, he was the pastor, he had an assistant and they were appointing a youth and children's worker, but the congregation on a Sunday was like eight or 10 and you sort of think, what? But that's really important, isn't it? In council state ministry. Can you just give us a bit of an understanding why you think that is and, and what guys need to think about in that respect?
0: Yeah, I think first of all, we've got a really bad model of church planting in particular to council estates, but just in, in, in general. Uh, I think there's a, a, what's seen as where funding is also a, another thing that's up for contention. Mm. Uh, for me, I, I, I don't see how uh, any church on a council estate can function without a female gospel worker. If we see that most council estates have at least 60% single mums living mm. on them. So we need some woman to to be able to go out and reach them with the gospel and to disciple them. So that's the first thing you obviously need the pastor, but he can't preach and look after the the, the launch team and do all the evangelism and discipleship and the outreach. So for me, uh, after 10 years at New Life Church, we've got what we needed when we started. We've got a pastor. We've got a, 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 a male evangelist and youth worker. We've got a female evangelist. And youth worker, we've got an admin worker, and we have got a female gospel worker. We've got five members of staff that we should have had at the start, and we've just about covering the cost for all that. It's mm. like a month by month, uh, just trusting the Lord to provide for that. But we wouldn't function without it. We, we would just be maintaining or slowing the decline of a, of a dying church. Mm. So we, we have taken on a church that has been there for 50 years before us, and they've got six members. Okay, and we had 11 members, so we were two struggling churches, and that church was without a pastor. Mm. And uh, being without a pastor, that had two thirds of the members have gone since the pastor left. Wow! So, unless we've got a team that is uh, feeding the believers and reaching the lost, then then we're, we're just going to fail, aren't we? So, I think more <laughs> finance needs to be given for longer terms thinking do you know what after 10 years we might start seeing some fruit but but it's worth it that investment is worth it because we're not thinking about fruit tomorrow we're thinking about where will we have a church on this estate in 50 years time we've got to have that long-term vision do you know what if jesus returns uh tomorrow then praise the lord but he he might not return for another millennia. So yeah. let, let's let's make long-term plans until he does return that we fulfill that mandate that he's given to make disciples
1: of all nations. So how can other churches help support ministry to tough parts of the country, council estates, where there are these problems of addiction and of, um, I think you said, uh, I can't remember the word you used at the beginning, erratic um, mm. behavior, yeah. I think you said. How, how can, other than prayer, um, what, what what can kind of partnership and help look like from other churches who are listening to this who would really love to see, to have some involvement, I guess, yeah. in this kind of ministry? Yeah, find out. Find out the
0: churches that are part of the FIEC who were ministering on council estates, uh, get in touch with the FIEC and say, can you partner us up with a church that needs support mm. uh, financially? Uh, we've got a great example of how Banstead Community Church support New Life Church, Uh, They send people up to visit us and spend time with us, and we send people back down to them to to encourage one another. Uh, They send finances to support our gospel worker. Uh, We send our gospel workers down there to help them uh, run summer schools, uh, Bible schools. Fantastic. Uh, So so church is that partner to share resources. We need to remove ourselves from that old-fashioned missionary mindset of having a donor church and a receiving church, we need to move towards gospel partnerships mm, mm. Where, where, where the church that might be low in funds is rich in many other resources, whether that be through preaching or experience. Mm. Or, so how can we, uh, the church that was once seen as the receipt church that receives, how can we encourage them to, to serve us? And the church that was once seen as a donor church, uh, yes, give what you have, but also don't be too proud to say where you're struggling, where you might need some help. Or even if you don't need help, just be humble enough and encouraged next time you're on holiday. Instead of getting a, a keynote speaker, get a pastor from a council estate who normally preaches to eight people. Mm. Give him the privilege of speaking to 50 people because that will really encourage him. And I'm sure it will bless the congregation as well. These partnerships need to be... Uh, Giving and receiving from both of the partners, mm. and I'll, I'll just use a, a, an illustration. Was my dad, as a as a, a child, my dad used to send me a check at Christmas, but I'd never see him from year on year, and he'd send me a check. Uh, that check was spent, and I'd buy something nice with it, but it didn't mean he was a dad. Mm. And in a similar way, if we are sending just sending money to churches, we're not partners. We're we're, we're just being what my dad was a donor. If we want to be true gospel partners, then we need to be sharing in the lives of one another, praying for one another, fellowshipping with one another, and receiving from one another. So, yeah, my, my encouragement is don't see these churches as, as just something that needs something off you, but as something, as a church that has something to give to you and will bless you and bless your congregation.
1: Ian, that is a fantastic challenge on which to finish. Thank you so much, brother, for talking to me about some of this uh, ministry. Before we go, is there anything else you really want to get across that you've not said that you think is really important for folk to hear about the ministry in context like yours in in Middlesbrough? Yeah. uh,
0: There's so many churches out there silently serving, uh, loving the Lord and loving their community who need help. And I've got a big mouth and I've, I've took advantage of that. And have you Not <laughs> yet. <Okay. laughs> but there's so many more people out there who either haven't got the time or the cheek to, to, mm. to make themselves known. So we have a responsibility to find out who these pastors are, who these gospel workers are, and who these struggling churches are, so we can love them and bless them and honour God by ensuring they survive to the next generation.
1: Ian that's great thank you so much for joining us brother we'll talk again Uh, we'll probably talk about Banstead as well your partnership uh, with them and thanks for being with us this has been Independence the FIEC podcast if you've enjoyed it please rate or review so others can find it Uh, Ian we'll talk again soon thank you brother cheers brother God bless